We're in a series of what God does for the rescued in salvation. Uh, what does God do for those he rescues? And today, we're going to be speaking on slavery to sin has ended for the rescued. We looked at this last week. We're going to pick up another section. I introduced it by Romans 6, and today we'll pick up Romans 8. But let me, uh, before we read the text, let's do a little review. Uh, let's go back to Romans 6. And for 10 verses, God keeps telling them, don't you know that since the Spirit has immersed you into union with Christ, you have died with him, you've been buried with him, you've risen with him. This is a fact. This is a fact in divine reckoning. Now, he tells us, reckon this to be true. If God said it's true, you count on it. Verse 11, you count it to be true. And then he said, if you're counting it true, you will be acting alive to God the Father and dead, unavailable to sin. Then he goes and he gives us this choice. As you used to present your members to sin, your body to sin, stop that. I want you to start offering your body to do righteousness and God's will like you used to do sin. I just want you to switch the master of your life. From sin, I want you to go to the master of righteousness unto God. Well, he says something in verse 14, uh, very interesting. For sin shall have no dominion over you. Since you are not under law, but under grace. What in the world is that? What then? Are we to sin because we are not under law, but under grace? By no means. Now I think primarily he's talking about the law of Moses. Uh, talking about the Old Testament, and all those laws. But I think it comes to stand for any rule kind of Christianity that I'm under a bunch of rules, a bunch of obligations. He didn't save me for rules. He didn't save me for law. Now he goes in chapter 7, and he says, let me describe to you what life under the law was like. And he starts telling you the law was good, was perfect. Uh, and great, but he said, because I have sin dwelling in me, it was not a good relationship. Sinners don't do good under law. Sinners don't, do, because you see, law carries with it penalty. It's not just good advice. God said, if you read the law of Moses and the 613 commandments, a lot of them meant your death the very day you broke it. Give you an example. Numbers 15, a boy started uh, picking up sticks on the Sabbath day to build a fire, and God told the men of Israel, kill him. He broke the Sabbath rule. Gavin Newsom wasn't empowered then. <laughs> kill him. Many things. Kill him. We'd call it all barbaric. You say that to God. When God makes the rule, 
he can enforce it. And he didn't have any, you know. And so that's a brutal illustration. That's how strict law was. And he says, we're not under law. But whether you are a Christian, and I primarily take Romans 7 as an illustration of those who were not Christian, but what it was like to be a devout Jew trying to live under the law. And, and listen to what he says in verse 14. He said, uh, For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am fleshly or carnal, sold under sin. I, I'm just being sold out, sold out. It's wonderful, the law, but it's making a wreck out of me because I cannot perform it. Then he goes down, verse 24. Wretched man that I am. Wow. Is this the Christian life? Who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. The deliverance I need will come not through the law, but through Jesus Christ. Now, we begin chapter 8 with that setup. The law cannot control the flesh. The law cannot produce justification or sanctification. It just proves you are a failure. Failure, failure, failure. Listen to what he starts, 8-1. There is therefore, wait, he says move from being a wretched man, a carnal man, defeated man. He's going from but you've been united to Christ in Romans 6. Now let me tell you, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Five things I want to share with you about what the life under grace is to look like. If we're not under law but under grace, what does that mean? First thing. The grace life is free from penalty. It's free from penalty. And the word here for condemnation was a word used for sending men to hell. It's free from the threat of the law. It's free from the threat of damnation for failure. There is no condemnation. The word condemnation is a word, is made up of two words, crino, to decide, but kata, a little preposition, to decide against. And he says, in Christ, there is nothing from heaven that will ever be decided against you. You're slow. Uh, why? Because it's already been counted against Christ. And he has borne everything God had against you. God put it on him. So he doesn't have to put it on you. Did he save you to be condemned? Did he save you to put you under the gavel again? You make a misstep. Boom. We'll eliminate you. We'll judge you severely. No. The question, we had a Q&A, and we'll do it again today here a after the uh, message. 
the, the question comes up, well, what about, are there any commands to obey? Christ gave a new commandment. There's about 150 things he commands us to do in the New Testament. Oh, does that mean I just flippantly throw them off? No, you remember in regeneration, in the new birth, he said that he would inscribe his law on our heart, that he'd give us a new nature that desires to do right. It becomes our nature to want to please God. It becomes our, we never had it before. It becomes the bent. We may fail, but we have a bent for righteousness. We have a bent to please. We've been given a divine birth from above. And the commands are not burdensome because God has made them, we've come to love this one that commands. And it's moved out of the courtroom and it's moved into the family room. Failure now is a family matter. And I don't condemn my kids. I may chasten them, but I'm not going to be, I'm going to give you back. There ain't no place to give them back in my house. <laughs> they got to start with us. And we're glad to have our guest celebrity, Deborah, here today. Welcome, Deborah. Uh, there's nobody to give them back to. No, they're yours. Right or wrong, they're yours. It's an old Bob Wills song. Is it right or wrong? I will still love you. Great Texas swing song. You don't know a thing I'm talking about, do you? <laughs> but Ron does. Uh, but the grace life, you know, I ask you this. Is your Christian life wretched or blessed? blessed. Is the Christian life uh, defeat or enjoyment? enjoyment? You know, it's hard to give away what's making you miserable. You know, uh, can we fill this place? Can you get anybody to come to a church that you are miserable at? It, you know, it's hard to suppress joy. You, don't you want someone, you know, if I get a, a, a new album or anything, especially guitar music, I want my buddies or whoever I know that likes it, listen to that. You get it? Oh, yes. You would say, what's the noise? What's the noise? You just had a genius play a song, and you call it noise. Duh, something wrong with right up here. You don't get it. And you mean Christianity, is it the best thing in your life? Amen. Amen. Or are you going around condemned? Are you going around this legal burden? Somebody's after me. I think God's after me. God's not after you. I thought he had you. And if he's got you, he's got you in his son. And in his son, there's no condemnation. And that's what he said. No condemnation. That's the first part of the grace life. The second thing is, there's a new person on board, the Holy Spirit. Listen to verses 3, or verse 2 through 4. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. And that is that indwelling sin. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh 
And for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Flesh here is a metaphorical analogy. He's not talking about meat on the bones. Flesh is used nine different ways in Scripture, and here it's the sin principle within. I think, listen to me here. We, we do, a, I think, a pretty good job saying, Jesus will deliver you from your sins. Do we not say that? In the gospel. He died for your sins. He was raised again. Great. And he said, well, I believe that. I got it. But there's no help for you to overcome your sin. There's no help for you to overcome the principle in you that made you do the sins. And what Romans 6 through 8 is dealing with, let me take on the sin that's in you, even when you're saved. There's a principle in you that you must deal with daily, moment by moment. And this is the gospel for the saved and those that have to deal with the indwelling sin that wants to leap on you and destroy you. And he says, God says something. Let me say something. There's a new person that's put, been put in you, and he's more powerful than your sin principle. He's stronger. Because the flesh and the spirit will be at war, but the spirit is stronger. And you can have his help if you'll only make yourself available to him. Now, that's good news for the Christian. Because, you know, being around Christians for, oh, I, I've been around them all my life. But as a Christian, 60 years I've been in the church, and I've met a lot of miserable Christians. Uh, I, I, I'm thinking, you're not good advertisement. What's your problem? Indigestion? Uh, personality? Uh, where is the fruit of the Spirit? I, do, I don't see joy. I don't see peace. I don't feel love. Uh, I see crankiness. I see a little bit of wretchedness. A little bit of maybe you're miserable about something. Uh, I, I don't see uh, because maybe you've not been yielding to the Spirit. And the Spirit's not been able to produce His fruit. Perhaps you've been quenching Him, grieving Him. But He says the grace people have got a new power source. You remember what Jesus said to those men that all proved to be so overwhelmed with fear they became cowards on the night of his betrayal and his trial. And they all fled. We all make Peter the culprit because he made the boast. But they all fled. All of them. And I think I would too. You know, when I read the Gospels, the one failing in the narrative is a picture of me. Christ isn't the picture of me. I flee too. I want to get out of this thing alive. Have you ever went silent that you knew him on a job or in school? You didn't want anyone to find out you know him? You can breathe heavy. We've all been there. Well, when you got the Roman legions in front of you, and, and, and your, your uh, founder is getting ready to be crucified, 
Uh, it'd be easy to bail out. And Jesus says, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. And he's going to be a good way to translate the word comforter. It literally means called alongside of to help. And so it could be called the encouraging helper. Called alongside to help. Uh, he comes to encourage and he comes to help. Now, basically he says to us, can that spirit that raised my son from the dead, do you think he has enough power to help you overcome lust? Does he have enough power to overcome the indwelling sin that you deal with day in and day out? We're so used to our sin that we call it my humanity. I can't change. No, you can't, but you've got someone that's a change agent. And he's come in you. And so the grace life is I'm not under penalty for when I fail. I get disciplined, but I don't get penalized in the sense of divine judgment. You know, I'm going to be disowned. Two, I've got extra help. Three, I live with a new perspective. Uh, verses 5 through 8. He said there's two kinds of people. People who set their mind on the things of the flesh and people who set their mind on things of the Spirit. And if you set your mind on things of the flesh, you will experience death, relational death, relational death. Eventually physical death, eventually spiritual separation from God. But then he said, there's a mindset that sets its mind on the things that come from the Spirit. You, you see that? Listen at verse 5. For those who live according to the flesh, what do they do with their minds? They set their minds on the things of the flesh. Fifteen works of the flesh in Galatians. They set their mind on hate, discord, uh, sexual impurity, uh, drunkenness, he, the, all these various works of the flesh. They got their mind on them. That, that's where their mind goes. You could be in a room with an event that is neutral, but if you have a, a fallen mind, they can always see the dirt in it. Where a regenerate mind sees no evil because they're not looking for it. Do you see some folks, they always find something dirty and everything? As Titus said, to the pure, all things are pure. To the defiled, everything's dirty. You put a pretty, room, a, a pretty woman in a room with a dirty man, he could turn her into being dirty. To a godly man, she's a nice-looking woman, and either pray for her salvation or thank God we have such beautiful sisters. <laughs> but there's nothing dirty about a woman. Right there. A pastor friend of mine went to see a man in his 80s in an iron lung. And when he got through with the visit, he's getting ready to go. Uh, the pastor asked him, is there anything I could be praying with you about? And he said, yeah, pastor, I'm struggling with lust. Wait, wait, you're in an iron lung. You're 80 years old. And he said, 
this is still active. Right there. So he said, where do you set your mind? You know what we commonly use? We use uh, Philippians 4, 6 all the time. We say, don't be anxious about a thing. Pray, and what? God's peace will guard your hearts and minds. You know what we often forget is verse 8. Put your mind on things above. Put your mind on things that are honorable, pure, holy. And he lists things. Colossians 3.1 said, set your frame of thinking. The old King James was affections, but it's really frame of thinking. Frame Set your way of thinking on things above where Christ, who is your life, is seated. Do you ever think above the headlines, above the dirt, above the earth? Do you ever set your frame of thinking on things? Do you ever get homesick for heaven? And I'm not talking on April 15th. No, no. I mean, are you homesick for heaven? Not just when your mother-in-law visits. I mean, you're homesick for heaven. Do you ever think about heaven? Set your way of thinking on things above. You see, Jesus did something radical in the Sermon on the Mount. The rabbis had it all figured out, and everything dealt with your deed, with your deed. Don't kill a man. Jesus said, I forbid you to hate a man. Wait, wait. I didn't, I didn't kill him. I just hate him. I want to choke him. Oh, oh. Oh, and Jesus said, uh, that didn't come from me. Matter of fact, that's a sin in my kingdom. Oh, I'm lusting for this woman, but we didn't do anything. Yes, you did. You had a moment to look and the rest of the time to flee. You can look, but you can't lust. You know, you know that just because you become a Christian, women don't get ugly. <laughs> I mean, I know some brothers, they'd have me dress all the women in sackcloth to control their mind. Been kind of hard to do around here. No, 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 no. No, don't worry about how the women are dressing. Worry about how you're thinking. How you're thinking. Right there. And he said, we, we set our mind thinking on the fruit of the Spirit. Thinking on the thing. That's why if you don't get in the Word and let God renew, renew your mind and scrub out the old categories of thinking, scrub out the old way of thinking about life, you're always going to be dirty. You're always going to be negative. He said, I want in this grace way of living, it's not just in how you behave, but it's in how you think. How you think, how you interpret data. Fourth thing, the grace life is a life of total dependence on the Spirit of God. Look at verse 9. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. There's only two kinds of people, in the flesh, in the Spirit. Since, in fact, it's a condition of fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you. 
Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. Every child of God has the Holy Spirit. Every child of God has the Holy Spirit. You don't get it, do you? Every child of God has the Holy Spirit. You're carrying around more power in you than you could ever imagine. And yet you get defeated Christians like, I, I'm not able. I, I'm, wait, wait. God knew that. That's why he gave, saved you and gave you the Spirit. Yeah, but there's not enough power there. I haven't talked in tongues. I haven't had dreams. I haven't had visions. I haven't uh, healed anybody lately. I can't help it. You could be a tongue talker and be as carnal as any Corinthian. Every child of God has the Holy Spirit, and he's in you who seem to feel comfortable with defeat and with joyless Christianity. You know why? You probably put yourself under rules, probably put yourself under law, because you think rule-keeping is why God saved you. Oh, throw it out the window. He saved you to be intimate with him, not to keep rules. That's not the relationship. No, sir. He wants a people that love him. You know, this marriage will last as long as, honey, don't you ever get to weigh over 120. Whoa. You mean that was in the vows? Well, we, we want a pre-nuptial agreement on how much you'll weigh. And, and by the way, don't ever get old. If you ever see a wrinkle, I'm walking. Well, what about you, you buzzard? <laughs> you get old, too. You know, all, all these conditions for a loving relationship? You're kidding. This is law. This is rules. You mean Jesus? That's why you saved me? I want someone who knows how to walk it. How about somebody that can love you? I'll just, I'll just be available. How, you said you married me in Romans 7 that I might bear your fruit, and bearing your fruit as your bride is simply being available and being intimate with you, and then I'm fruitful. I don't bear any fruit keeping rules. Man, I grew up with so many rules in church. It's absurd. I thought the rules were Christianity. There was just nothing but Ma Jones' idea of what a woman ought to look like and a man ought to look like. Hey, we're free in Christ. There's this good old song that says, free from the law, oh, happy condition. Jesus has died and there is remission. Free from the law, oh, happy condition. Wait, 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 wait. I, we we got to, ushers checked them on the way out. They're planning to go get drunk right after this service because they're not under law. Does it work that way? No, no. Who wants to sin against God's grace? Makes you want to follow him. The grace life is a life of dependence. God knows how weak we are. God knows how weak you are. 
And he said, uh, just rely on me. But you know what we do? I hear people say, well, well, I've got a temper problem. Well, good. Well, I've got a lust problem. Well, good. What are you doing about it? Well, I'm trusting myself. Uh, I'm taking an anger management class. How you doing? Well, I've been mad at the instructor. <laughs> but you know what? And, and God's saying, uh, you know, I gave you another help. Have you called for his help? No, I don't need your help. I got this. You do. Well, let, let, let's watch you fail. That's what you fail. See, you got more power than you're calling on. Because he said, I'm telling you, walk in the Spirit. Walk by means of... I told you to keep yourself under the control and full of the Spirit. Are you Spirit-filled? Well, uh, uh, are you... And you know what part of Spirit-filling means? The word literally means to fill up your deficiencies. Uh, he fills up your lack of a loving attitude your lack of joy, your lack of peace. Let's just take those three manifestations of the Spirit. How are you doing on love? How are you doing on peace? How are you doing on joy? Not even get to gentleness, kindness, faith, self-control. But how, how are you doing there? This is what the Spirit produces when He's in control of you. Uh, do, do people accuse you of acting this way? Well, if you're relying on the Spirit, that's what he wants to produce in you and get rid of the way you acted in the old man. The fifth thing about the grace life is that uh, it's a life of constantly putting to death what used to kill you. Putting to death. Let me read you two verses. Look at verse 12 and 13. And then we'll look at Colossians. So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh. And, and flesh is not meat on the bones. It's a sin principle. To live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you are about to die. In the Greek, that's, that it's, it's, you're about to die. I don't know if that's physical death uh, or you're going to experience uh, loss of fellowship and you will sense that something's died. But if by the Spirit you are putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Wow. John Owen in the 1600s wrote a famous volume called The Mortification of Sin. Brilliant, brilliant Puritan writer and it's a classic. You may read it sometime, but you need about to know about four languages. He's difficult to read because he's so brilliant. Look at Colossians 3, 5. Are you there? Okay. Collisions 3, 5. Put to death, therefore... What is earthly in you? What do you mean, God? Oh, I'm glad you asked. 
sexual immorality. The pagan world was as penetrated with it as the San Francisco Bay Area. Impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness. I want more, I want more. All Americans are taught to covet, not to be content. Which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked when you were living in them. But now you must put away anger, wrath, malice, that's hatred, slander, talking people down, obscene talk from your mouth. Stop lying to one another. Seeing that you put off the old man or the old self with his practices, and you put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Put on then, watch this, verse 12, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, put on a compassionate heart. You can feel for people's needs. Don't be a, a wealthy, non-compassionate capitalist. I got mine, you get yours. If God had treated you that way, you wouldn't be saved. No, no, put it on. Are you a naturally compassionate person? Go ahead, I'm not going to look. <laughs> no, most of us have to learn it especially if you're a man. Because you're always men are, are, uh, have to be protected. They've got to watch other guys that want to fight, want to conquer. And to be compassionate, you've got to be kidding. No, I want to hit them before they hit me. Uh, kindness, humility, meekness, patience. He said, all this stuff you put on, so you're putting to death sin. Putting to death the word. Now that means you're going along. Negative thought, sinful thought, lust, slander, against people, covetous, wanting something that's not whatever category. And he said, you must at that time, said, wait, wait, you got to talk to that sin. You got to talk to yourself. Say, sin. Listen to me. You've killed me for most of my life. I recognize you. Your sin, you're wrong. I've died with Christ. My Savior went to the cross for this very thing you're tempting me to do. You talk. You talk to yourself. You know you do. You're tortured. So you talk to it. So if you hear your husband in the other room talking out, good. He might be putting to death sin. Lord, that's a wrong attitude. That's a wrong thought. And right now, I come to you, Lord. I want to rely on your spirit, and I judge it now. I judge it as wrong. Remove it from me. Take it from me. Now, while you're praying that, you're not staring at Playboy. <laughs> you do that while you're fleeing. You get away from that person that's getting you stirred up and even to hate, anger, lust, you, get, you, you do make practical steps, but you go and 
you put to death. It's a way of life. While the fruit of the Spirit is being born, you are killing every work of the flesh that rises up in your heart. And so what you're doing, you get to kill the sin that used to kill you. See, you get to kill the sin that used to kill you. Uh, bad mouth, uh, oh my, bad, look, you can, I mean, all these various practices of our sin principle that was all a natural way of living before we came to Christ. Now, while I'm enjoying the fruit of the Spirit, I'm enjoying the enablement of the Spirit, I'm in warfare with all these same old lusts that come, put them to death one by one, one by one. It's called warfare. It's warfare, spiritual warfare. And uh, you know what? The, the worst thing about any place you go is that you take you. Uh, isn't that your greatest enemy? Uh, did you know when the devil is bound for a thousand years, there will still be sin? When the devil's not around to tempt you, you'll still be tempted to sin comes from within, within the heart of man. But this grace life, grace life, uh, we've been given a brand new way of living. Uh, I need to, Ron, you could help. I'm giving Q&A for 10 minutes after each message. Don't ask me about your taxes or anything about that. Uh, if there's anything pertinent to the subject matter, we'd be willing to let you ask a question and is try to address it. She only gets one question. So, timer, both. Um, the Lord has really taught me something, praise the Lord. Um, this was like recently, just two days ago this week. Um, I was studying, and um, he was telling me that um, the light, um, the spiritual realm is, the light is has to do with him because he is the light, and um, spiritual death is um, has a lot to do with Satan. I, I never known that for myself because I had to study the Bible to get a full understanding in his words. So that's something I just, you know, learned on my own. I heard you preach about it before, you know, coming here lots of times and I just wanted to, I had to search for my own um, self to get um, you know, what, more the of question? the Lord. What's so the question? He's taught me about the spiritual realm and the oh. light is of him and the darkness is spiritual. All of this, Satan's is spiritual, his spiritual realm is, um, is death. Right. Death and darkness. Right. And no, he's in destruction. All of that is Satan. And okay. um, um, Jesus is light and life life. I've learned this okay. because he's, I've been asking him to show me so I could be self-approved in his word, and he has. So okay. I just wanted to share and that. Read 1 John 1. Mm -hmm. uh, we don't walk in darkness, mm -hmm. which is God's life yes. in manifestation. Yes. Yeah. Thank you, you, You've been called to walk in the light. Thank you. Good, good. working with me. God bless. Well, somebody have a question? I know it's kind of hard in a room this size. You don't want to be looking bad, but uh, okay, Judah. 
Yeah, I just had a question. Uh, it was referring back to the passage we read in Colossians when it said one of the uh, sinful desires was passion. I just want to know, is it wrong, like, let's say you have a passion for a dream job, like, dream job, like you want to be like a technician or an engineer or something like that. Is it wrong to have a passion to pursue what you want to do, to like have a passion to pursue what you want to become in your dream job and have a future career? Not at all. Not at all. And uh, uh, I'm hoping your generation has that passion uh, to, to pursue a work ethic, to want to do. But I, I think it's wonderful when you're a child of God, uh, he will energize you to be willing and to be doing of his good pleasure. Because God's got a divine plan for Judah that he's worked out in Ephesians 2.10. And so that, no, be ambitious. Uh, uh, you know, <clears throat> it's like this. It takes a lot of work to wind up doing what God wants. Uh, you know, we, a lot of times, I was called to preach, let's say, 15. But then I spent 14 years preparing. Took me 14 years of paying tuition to learn anything. And so it's not just, ooh, hand to God, came on. Wait, a bunch of perspiration took place. I just signed up for perspiration. It's not just, ooh, it just all rains on you. No, no. Will you study? Will you prepare? And no, that's a wise man. That's a wise man. Prepare yourself to be whatever you think God may have in your future. Specialize as a technician, engineer, no, no, no. That's healthy. That's good. Keep fanning it. And if God doesn't want you to do that, he'll show you. He'll show you. But in the meantime, be engaged. Be engaged. Don't be passive. Good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. okay. Hey, Pastor. Um, you know, you mentioned that when we're battling sin in our mind and the thoughts come into our mind that we have to talk to ourselves. But I have found, for me, it is much more effective if I use God's word and I speak it out loud. Oh, good. good. And if you know God, what God's word says, whatever thought is attacking you, if you can get a scripture and not just think it, but speak that scripture out, because his word is alive and active, it's sharper than a sword, and it permeates the atmosphere. It doesn't go out void. That's excellent. And it confuses Satan. Oh, that's great. And James, so, it fulfills James 4, 7, that while you're submitting to God, you resist the devil. Amen. There's no word he hates more than the word of God. Exactly. And exactly. that's what Jesus did in his temptation. And sometimes people talk to themselves, but they're not talking to themselves in the right way. Well, you could be in J Ward and be talking to exactly. yourself. Exactly. And you can be so frustrated and full of fear <laughs> that you're not saying the right things to yourself. Yeah. But God says, when I am afraid, I will trust in you. Psalm and you say that. Three. You say that to yourself, Beautiful. but you're also speaking his word. I love Just it. I love it. I think that's why we tell you, get the word in you. It's the only ammunition you'll have in the evil day. Taking the sword of the spirit, which are the words of God. Ephesians 6, 17. Hi, um, my name is Meling, and me and my husband uh, are visiting this church because um, my mother-in-law goes to this church. And... Um, as I can see, there's a lot of like, um, you know, elderly generation here. Where we come from, we live in Oakland, we go to church in, in San Francisco. So 
as you know, like as a generation, like um, living this barrier is very expensive. And I wonder, is right um, to like you know do the master plans about like money, like investing, you know, prepare for the future. Like, what's the right heart for money? Like, for doing those kind of things, the right to have passion to pursuing wealth. Like that's the kind of question I'm asking. Yeah. Is it right to pursue wealth? Like, not say super wealthy, but just saying like enough to support a family because like you know there's a lot of fear. And yeah. our heart is like how we can live in this expensive city, especially like we're living in Auckland, like houses are way more expensive than here. Like, yeah. like it's very hard to trust like, you know, God, like, mm -hmm. you know, I wonder what's the right like way to kind of pursue in a way. Okay, I think the big battle is to trust God and not be governed by greed. When, when is enough enough? But when you read Proverbs, I think something interesting is when you read scripture, you've got black and white issues. Don't, uh, don't steal. Man, that's black and white. That's a right or wrong. No question. But in Proverbs, let's say, a book of wisdom, the big issue is, okay, I'm not to uh, be immoral. I'm not to be a thief. Uh, I'm not to bad language, but now who should I marry? How should I manage money? You know, what's the best way to manage it? Uh, maybe if I know stocks really good, I know I can make my money make money and do well. Uh, a person over here that doesn't know stocks had better stay away because they don't know. Uh, so that's a matter of economic wisdom, strategy, uh, but we all deal with greed. You know, it, it's like this. How many pairs of clothes should you have? Uh, you know, and, and so, uh, and it, most of us, you heard the silent guilt go through the place because <laughs> we're griping, our closets aren't big enough. Uh, and so I think in those things, you know, this getting off a little bit the spirit-filled life, but one thing about it, is there any money set aside for compassion? Any money set aside to those starving? Or you say, that's none of my business. Well, uh, we know you don't have compassion. Are you a generous person with money? Because the more of it you get, the stingier you can become. Money doesn't make you gracious. No, little money or, or lots of money. It doesn't make you gracious. That's a work of the Spirit to be generous, honor the Lord first, and then make God, I'll tell you, we pray God will prosper his people. We need somebody that loves Jesus that has some money to underwrite his work. This church is underwritten by people that God's blessed and who underwrite this church. And may you prosper. <laughs> may you prosper. Why is it so easy for people to hate you? What was that? Why is it so easy for people to hate and not forgive? To hate and not to give? Or, and to forgive? Wow. Why don't you ask a difficult question? <laughs> 
Man, is that a loaded question? Why is it so easy to hate? Have any of you ever had a temptation to hate? You can raise your hand. We can have an altar call now. Yeah, yeah. Man, that's a loaded. I, I would just say, just off the cuff, man, that is so loaded. Uh, I think sin is inborn in us, and uh, me is number one. So in that, and uh, but for it to go beyond, I don't like you, or I wouldn't do it that way, to I hate you. Uh, and, and we're full of it. I mean, we just saw even like Muslims there in New Zealand. Uh, we're, we're totally non-Muslim, but do I go into a mosque and start killing people? Absolutely not. Uh, I just say it's a part of our sinful depravity, and uh, that's why Jesus said, they'll know you because I turn you into a lover. I turn you into good things, but it's just inbred in us. I mean, uh, why are the bullies on campus? Now, I've got a uh, great-grandson. He's nine. He's just started public school this year. He's been in Christian school. And I keep asking him, any kids bullying you yet? Because I went to Richmond schools, and you just felt good to get a home. <laughs> Education was a bonus. You know, I put my girls through Christian schools primarily for protection because I grew up in Richmond schools in the Iron Triangle. And uh, it was dangerous, uh, no matter. But I lived there when white flight was taking place. And if I didn't walk to school with Boogie and Bulldog, I didn't get home alive. <laughs> I had to have some black friends because it mainly became. But you know what? The racial strife in South Richmond wasn't so bad until drugs came. Drugs, post-Vietnam, and guns. Because we just settled it playing basketball or this. And if he's bigger than you, he's, you knew how to get along. <laughs> you just got tamed real quick. But that you asked the biggest question, I think, of the day. Why do we hate? Anybody got, Joanne, did you have an answer to that? Oh, no. oh, oh, I saw you raise your hand. Okay. All right. Oh, you got a question. Let's take, that's a poor answer, but it's a profound question. Um, you had mentioned that, that we, uh, we have the, the opportunity to constantly put to death what, we, what used to kill us. And um, I've talked to some group of ladies, and we, we want to instantly be perfect what we recognize as sin. But to, it's, it's a process. In other words, we recognize the sin within us, and then we seek God's word to get it out, but it's a process. And we sometimes beat ourselves up because we, we get it, but we don't start doing it instantly. Yeah. So it's, we have to be patient with ourselves because God is patient with us. That's so, a good word. Yeah. Yeah. So I was just, it's, it's a life. I we're like under that. construction, aren't we? Yes. Life, lifelong. 
by the time God gets you really get all the kinks worked out, you'll die. Okay, they're who? All right, you know what? It's going to be $20 a question from now on. Dolores. Uh, Pastor, I was uh, just curious that sometimes people are asking us to pray for them. And, um, and most of the time we ask that God would heal them. But in addition to that, what would you also pray for? Uh, they usually want you to pray God will heal them. Uh, I would say that they walk in the spirit, uh, that they would uh, uh, be putting to death these negative bents and because a lot of folks pray for me I'm in depression okay not all people but sin brings a lot of depression sometimes they need to really repent and I'm not talking about people who have clinical depression or maybe on a medication effect but uh, I would want to you know it's like in our uh, times in praying on Wednesday the staff I'd say 75% of our prayer requests is ask God to heal some part of my body. I, I kiddingly says it's like an organ recital. <laughs> I mean, uh, and I thought, man, I need to start a clinic. You know, because you seldom get soul requests. Uh, my inner man, my spiritual life, uh, I'm struggling in this area. I need God's help. And so I would say there's spirit. It's one thing to be saved from your sins. I, I, I accepted Jesus. But it's almost the second half of the gospel. Have you been saved from your sin? Sin principle in you. That, that's your enemy. That's what's the drag. And I think pray for spiritual deliverance, spiritual help. Uh, pray they'll learn to pray. 90% uh, of this church doesn't know how to pray. That's the average uh, number in churches. They don't know how to pray. Uh, they just don't. Uh, I, I'm amazed probably 90% of you don't know how to read a verse and tell me what it means. I'm disturbed by that. The ignorance that's in the church that I've been teaching myself uh, for 48 years, and I still keep meeting people. They can't tell me what the verse means. I mean, they don't know what it means. I think, why? Why? How long have you been a Christian? 20 years? 25 years? You don't know what it means? Was the Bible written to be understood? Yeah. Okay. Few more, then we'll stop. There were some others. Okay, Lynn. I've called her other names for years, so I'm saying that just to make <laughs> her feel important. Um, okay, so you mentioned the Holy Spirit, and in the Bible, the Holy Spirit came on the disciples, and they spoke in languages, yeah. in tongues. Right. And I noticed I went to some churches and they all spoke in tongues. And then also the Bible says if there's no one to interpret, you're not supposed to be speaking in tongues. Oh, well. So, um, and then you go to some churches and no one speaks in tongues. So can you kind of 
um, explain that to me and why some people speak okay. in tongues and some and is it like yeah. proof that you have the Holy Spirit or not or okay you know okay help me Acts one the Spirit came Acts one day of Pentecost they spoke in tongues but what we don't know is what tongues were unless you read the chapter and people heard Bithynian language, Galatian language, this. By the time it gets to the church of Corinth, they were talking in a lot of them. The old King James put in unknown tongues. Terrible translation. They're trying to help us out. But that word was inserted. Uh, and they're speaking in languages that nobody in the place understood. And what Pentecostals did, they made tongues a requirement that you have the Holy Spirit. It's proof you've got the baptism. But he said in 1 Corinthians 12, do all speak in tongues? No. Do all, are all the prophets? No. But they made it mandatory because it was going to be the evidence that you had the power, that, that really you've been visited. Uh, and so they developed a whole theology. I was born and raised in it. Uh, but no. Uh, and then the tongues in the meeting. Uh, wh why do we need tongues when we can speak English? Why do we need an interpreter when we can just say it? Being in a Pentecostal home, it's interesting. My mother, if one of us kids were sick, and he probably remembers, if she called our Pentecostal pastor to pray for one of us kids, she would do this, and don't pray in tongues. And, and, and the pastor said, what, what do you mean, Sister Howard? She said, I want to know what you're asking. <laughs> and you better be asking the right thing for my kids. Yeah. So, I mean, back then it was a gift of languages. Uh, Paul spoke in many languages. And so, but today it becomes gibberish, unintelligible sound. And, oh, you got it. And I'm, I'm going to ask, I got what? And, and I, I went through all of that. I was a tongue talker one time, sincerely. Wasn't faking it. You know, I was sincere. But it wasn't biblical. By the time I studied Greek, and so, hey, they spoke in the languages of people that were present. They heard them. And so if someone just jumped up in this meeting right now and started saying things, unintelligible syllables, why? How would it edify and it's amazing how many Pentecostal churches today, let's say Assembly of God churches, you're not allowed to do it in the service. We grew up, they could do it anytime. And you know why? For the sake of order. For the sake of the outsider. Because he said, if you all speak in tongues, 1 Corinthians 14, outsiders would say you've gone mad. It's in the verse, uh, 1 Corinthians 14. So we say, uh, the big thing we look for in land is say, Lynn, we're looking for the fruit of the Spirit, and we're not worried if you speak it in another language. Uh, speak the language of love, joy, peace, gentleness, kindness, goodness, self-control, and walk in the Spirit, talk in the Spirit, and get out of that pew and start serving. Get it? Yeah. Come on. We, we're, we're, oh, we're gone. We're done. We need to go. We talk later. Let's go. Stand up. Let me, let me pray, and I'll pray in English. <laughs> Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for your love. We thank you for the Spirit of God. I'm glad you did give me a new language, Lord.
I now could talk praise and worship and thanksgiving and talk the things of the Spirit and not the trash talk. I learned to talk on the streets. Oh, you've given me a new song in my heart. You planted my feet on the rock. So my name's on the roll and my feet are on the rock. I'm going to live for you until I see you face to face. And all of God's people said, God bless you.